Welcome to the Lubar Executive Education Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about how you can thrive as a leader, not just survive as a leader in these challenging times. With me today is Catherine Llewellyn. Catherine created Yes You Now in 2020 as a vehicle for helping high achievers provide the strong and wise leadership for their business and for themselves. Catherine's expertise lies in creating personalized self-mastery programs for highly successful people where she acts as a guide, facilitator, coach, and mentor to help them maximize their potential and apply that potential to deliver extraordinary outcomes. Welcome, Catherine. It's great to have you here with me today. Thank you so much, Mike. It's wonderful to be here. I'd like to start off by asking, how do you define self-mastery and how did you get involved in helping leaders? Wow. Well, I'll answer the second part first, I think. It, it, It happened almost by accident because back in the early 80s, I was involved with an organization that was that was doing marketing activity. And we ended up helping our clients by training their people. And we were training them to be much more authentic, uh, much more expressive, much better energy. And they would go back and they would get better results for their organizations, but no one knew how to manage them anymore. They just couldn't be managed because they were so much more individual than they ever had been. So they started asking us how to actually manage these people. So We started training their team leaders and then their managers and all the way up in the end to board level, which ended up being change leadership work. So it all started because we were transforming their people from sort of drones into independent thinking, expressive people, and they didn't know quite how to cope with them. Oh, that's a great story. And I just love the the progression from people just doing what they're told to do to actually tapping into their experience and their knowledge and all the great ideas that they have inside. Oh, and I didn't answer the other part, did I? What is self-mastery? So um, I actually like the term strategic self-mastery because most people seem to think that there's a, a division between work and personal growth, as if never the twain shall meet. And unfortunately for many people, that's the case. And it's a bit, a bit tragic because obviously we're much more effective in our work when we are more effective as people. And so for me, strategic self-mastery is when we learn enough about ourselves that we can actually utilize our potential and our wonderful qualities strategically in service to our strategic aims. When it's all blended together and integrated, that is strategic self-mastery. Got it. All right, so if somebody's looking to start down this path and get themselves to the next level, What is the first thing, in your opinion, that they should be doing? The very first thing they should be doing is defining what their next level is for them. And that is quite a tricky thing to do because we've all grown up with people telling us what is and isn't possible and also what is or isn't virtuous and what is or isn't interesting. Whereas actually in our own heart, we all know what really matters to us. So I always say to people, start by doing some really strong work dismantling all of the structures inside your own head that are telling you what you can't do and what you shouldn't do and keep going until you reach a point where you identify the next level that you really want. And actually it's exciting to you and a little bit scary. It's got to be a little bit more than you think is easy for you to do, but really, really interesting. So that's the first thing people need to do in my opinion. As you were talking, I think about my personal leadership journey. And what really resonated with me was the dismantling structures in your head. And Mm. something that I still kind of do from time to time, because as you mentioned, there's so many other opinions out there and other people saying, oh, you should do this or you should do that. Yeah, me too. 
And one of the things I know that is important that we've talked about before is to really see yourself as the first asset when you're looking to get to the next level. And I know that that can sometimes be difficult due to what we call imposter syndrome. So Mm. what are your thoughts on that and advice for overcoming it? It's such a great, I mean, I was listening to a podcast the other day that was talking about a kind of anthropological history of humanity, right? And they were saying that there came a point where humans began to be a bit more self-aware and humans suddenly started to notice that there were certain things they were in control of, which is, can I move my arm or not? You know, that's, I'm in control of that, but I'm not in control of the, you know, the elk on the other side of the mountain. I need to right, learn right. how to do some stuff to find the elk and kill the elk and cook the elk so I can be strong. Now, in order to do that, that person had to build strength, physical strength, speed, how to watch the weather and all that sort of thing. And that was the very first time that human beings began to see themselves as their own greatest asset because they realized they couldn't just sit there and wait for the elk to come wandering by. They had to actually go after it. So now, unfortunately, because we've got so many things outside ourselves that are so wonderful, money, organizational structures, computers, electronics, all the stuff that's there, we can forget that the the thing in the center of it, which is us as human beings, is the thing that's using it all. And the way we use it and bring it to bear is what's going to create the result. So if we don't use it in the most effective way, we're not going to get the result that we want. We are the point of leverage right at the center. We're like the switch that you can switch on or off. And when we're switched off, we can just drag ourselves through the day uh, or the month or the year and look back and say, well, what happened? Not much. But when we switch ourselves on and actually fire up our, our creativity and our intuition and our empathy and all those other things, that's when suddenly we can be so much more creative in how we use all these things that exist outside of us to get the result that we want. Yeah, you just said something that really struck me where uh, you're talking about getting to the end of a year and looking back and saying, what did I accomplish? What did I do? Or what did we do as an organization? And I think everybody's busy. And something Mm -hmm. I see a lot with leaders that we work with is, you know, everybody's so busy and sometimes they don't have enough time to stop and think, reflect, and and even celebrate. So yeah, taking that time and recognizing you need to do that uh, is huge. So as you set out, on a path towards self-mastery, how can somebody properly focus their efforts so they can make a significant shift in their organization as well as their personal life? I said dismantling structures in our head earlier on, that there is a place for structures and it can be very helpful to put a structure in place that almost forces us to reflect as you were just talking, almost forces us to take a step back and think more strategically. And those sorts of structures let's say with our board or with our group, we set aside time every week, every month to do that. That's a structure. And it's more difficult not to do it when there's a structure. Another structure is a coach. Another structure is to join a a group course. And there's all, all sorts of different ways we can put a structure in so that we're not having to decide again every day and every week and every month that we're committed to this. So we, we can set things up outside of us that remind us that we're committed. A bit like when we go to the gym and we delegate our willpower to the personal trainer. And they, and they if we don't show up, they hassle us to show up and we have to pay them anyway. In fact, I, I some of my podcast guests have told me this, and I think it's true, which is the more you're paying your coach the more likely you're going to show up and do the work. So 
a really good way to be to really, really grow is to find a really expensive coach. That makes sense. And also I agree that when you're going back to school as well, once you have more skin in the game, I know I pay a little more attention when it was my money going to business school and getting my executive MBA than when I was going through my undergrad. Yeah, because it's so easy just to sort of slack off because personal growth and development is is not easy. It's hard. I mean, there comes a point where you start getting benefits and you start feeling really fantastic and you don't want to stop. But that doesn't happen immediately, necessarily. So you have to keep going long enough before you hit that kind of sweet spot. Sure. And then one follow up question on this in regards to structures, how would you apply personal goals to the business? So would there be like strategic objectives perhaps or something like that? I always say, keep looking at when, when I talked about finding out what your next level is, I think try and find a next level where everything is present in that definition. So you're imagining your work situation, you're imagining how well your business is doing, but you're also imagining how your lifestyle is, how you feel in your body, how you feel emotionally, how your relationships are, how your energy is your play and leisure time and your other creative activities. So you're imagining a whole life that includes all of those elements. And the the reason you you do that is because if you don't do that, then you are more likely to end up sacrificing one thing for the other. But if you do include everything, then you're going to find ways of boosting everything in a way that everything's mutually supportive. And that's why it's so important to, to be really holistic when we look at our next level. That makes total sense. And as somebody who compartmentalizes a lot of things myself, I have noticed exactly what you're saying as I reflect. Absolutely. We all do it. All right. Well, understanding that leaders are responsible for producing change by setting direction, aligning people, motivating and inspiring them. What special skills or capabilities related to working with others do you think people should master? Well, I think, again, start with oneself uh, because if you don't understand yourself, then you're not going to understand your responses to other people. And equally, if you've done some work on looking after your own state of wellness and well-being and everything else, you're bringing some strength and reassurance and supportive energy to those relationships. So get yourself cleaned up and sorted out and brushed up first, I always say. And really then you can show, you know, th- then you can show up with your people and you're not bringing all your unfulfilled needs with you. You're not bringing to people the need that they have to adore you. You know, they have to obey you to make you feel powerful, all that kind of thing. You're, you're, you're bringing yourself in a good state to begin with. And then pay attention really is the first thing to do in these relationships with people. Really pay attention and notice how are they? What are they saying to you? What are they asking for from you? What do they seem to need? This is a big bias I have when looking at organizations, which is, What are people crying out for? What do they want to need? And I think too often leaders try and come up with what are the things I should be giving my people in isolation from what is it they seem to actually want or need? It's like the husband who comes home to the wife and keeps bringing her flowers. And she's saying, yeah, I don't really like flowers. Yeah, but you're a woman, surely flowers. No, it's a sweet gesture. But actually what I really like is crystals. So yeah, pay attention and listen to people and then let them know that you've listened. Don't just listen and then go and grunt and wander off because again, they won't know that you listened. You know, you've got to kind of play it back a bit, a little bit, 
Right. Okay, fine. So actually you're fine. You don't need anything from me right now. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's fantastic. Well done. Right. Now that's a, that's a valid communication. And it's amazing what you can learn from people when you just ask them and you truly are listening to what they're saying back to you. And I was working with an organization and you know, they have had a headquarters set of staff. They also have different facilities uh, to do different things, different locations. And they finally were realizing that the one size fits all approach didn't work. So they started asking the different teams, what do you want if we were going to do something for you? And the results were great because leadership had a, a great list of potential ideas to implement. And once they started implementing those ideas, engagement went way up, which is great because the people felt heard and they were getting what they wanted on top of that. Exactly. I mean, that's the principle. I think that these people who work into your organization are not children. They're, they're adults and they've got their own points of view. They don't need you to rescue them, parent them. They need you to be empathetic and caring, but they don't need you to take over their uh, ability to think for themselves. Right. And yeah, one thing this organization found too was that some of the stuff people were asking for, and actually most of it was really inexpensive and just simple things, stuff that they yeah. could do very easily. Lovely. Nice story. Yeah. Following up on this uh, question a little bit more, let's go a little deeper. As a leader, interpersonal relationships, as we're talking about, is, is key for everything. To be successful as a leader, are there any types of people you should get good at working with? The people to really concentrate on learning how to work with are the people you really don't want to work with, which is the people who are much smarter than you and much more resilient than you. And also the people who've got a completely different communication style from yours. You know, the number of boards I've shown up to, to work with, and they've all got the same communication style, except for the new guy. And by communication style, I mean, it's not accent. It, it's not regional. It's more like their, their kind of vibe, the energy of their communication. A, a lot of people have studied NLP now, you know, and they've learned to do kind of matching and mirroring and pacing and, you know, that people have different tones of voice and different pacing and different intonation and, and, and all sorts of different ways of communicating. Very often, when we start working with someone whose communication style is very, very different from our own, it can kind of trigger difficult reactions in us which we then find annoying because right? we don't want to be triggered. Surely I'm too grown up now to be triggered. But no, we get triggered. And then what the hell do we do then? So it's, it's the people who are much smarter than us, more creative, more independent thinking, who don't necessarily agree with us and say yes all the time. Those are the ones we need to practice working with because the other guys are easy. Yeah, we talk about that a lot. Understanding that there are multiple personal uh, work styles, communication styles, appreciating them because they all are good and they all have their place. And then how do you communicate with those folks and, and work with people who are different than you? Yeah. Uh, because we like to stay in our comfort zones. And sometimes our comfort zone can rub somebody else the wrong way. Just like if somebody else is staying in their comfort zone, they can rub us the wrong way. That's right. And if you're both stuck in your comfort zone, then nothing very exciting is going to take place. So, uh, Kind of moving back to more of a macro level, as a leader, what are some things that you think leaders should know about organizations and business in general uh, in order to be successful? I had a really interesting conversation for like for, I don't know, three or four hours once with a group I was working with about is an organization a machine or an organism? And I, of course, was saying it's an organism. It behaves like an organism. 
it sort of morphs in unexpected ways. It can actually starve and it can flourish. And it's not a machine. You can't just put petrol in one end and then it will go better. And so the first thing I would say is think about your organization as an organism. And from that point of view, look at it in that kind of way. Like, for example, is it getting enough sunlight? Is it getting enough fresh air? Has it got enough room to spread out? Is it flourishing? What's the mood of it? What's the atmosphere? So I think that looking at it as an organism, very, very useful. And it's quite a good meditation and it's quite a good discussion at board level and other levels in the organization as well. And it also helps people to realize that it's a human thing. And the fact that people are humans is being recognized. I'll just say one other, which I think is important as well, which is to recognize that an organization is a political system in the sense that there's power, there's authority, there's hierarchy, and there are also social and cultural pressures. And there are also social and cultural um, wonderfulnesses and assets and benefits as well, as in community. And all of those are aspects of being a political system. And it's also important to, be, to bear that in mind. And when we're studying our organizations and looking at helping our organizations to grow, to really bear that in mind. Yeah, I think those are two really savvy lenses to look at uh, an organization through. And I think the best leaders do that. Uh, yeah. I know a lot of people who don't want to get involved in the politics, yet you do need to understand that organizations do have influence and power structures that you need to navigate properly to be successful. And looking at it as an organism, I think even about my own terminology and how I talk about oxygen is, is the word I use probably the most and say, you know, do we have enough oxygen to take this project on? Uh, do we have enough oxygen to get this done as an organization? And you know, how do we get more of it? Nice. All right. Well, I know I've asked mostly about the business aspect of leadership so far. So I'd like to just take a moment and talk about the personal side of things. How can leaders improve their personal lives with the concepts that we're talking about today so there's a proper balance between their personal life and their professional life? I'm seeing way too many people come through our programs and they're sacrificing their personal life because of all this work that they're getting on their plates. Yeah, it's a tough one, um, particularly, if, particularly if somebody's working in a culture where it's considered virtuous to never go home and not have lunch. It's very, very difficult. In order to pull oneself out of that, we have to find a way of being exceptional in our contribution whilst working fewer hours. You, you can't just, if you just work fewer hours, um, but stay at the same level of performance, it's not gonna work because all that people are going to see is that you've reduced your hours. They won't see that your performance is still adequate. So it, almost counterintuitively, you've got to boost your contribution at the same time as reducing your hours. So you've got to be very, very smart to do that. And I, I tend to advise people to turn this into some sort of a transitional project. So rather than seeing it as something that I should have already done and how do I get it done by the weekend, instead of that, to turn it into a transitional project and give ourselves a period of time within which to make the shift. And that period could be three months, six months, it might be a year, depending on how bad the situation is. Now, when you view it as a project, then you can strategically look at it and say to yourself, what are the areas where I could potentially be exceptional in my contribution? And what are the areas where I could potentially 
cut out a lot of what I'm doing at the moment, delegate it, simplify it, automate it, et cetera? And how can I transition to that very carefully over time in such a way that the only thing people notice is this extraordinary boost in contribution? Now, that takes a lot of work, a lot of thinking to do. Um, another thing that goes along with that is to really notice something that really damages people's balance in their lives is when they're doing work that doesn't make them happy. So then they find they never feel like they've got enough time to themselves because no amount of time to themselves is going to heal that for them. Because the minute they go back to work, they're not happy again. And that's a downward spiral. So really looking at what we're doing in our work, why are we doing it? Does it feed us? Does it touch us in the heart? And if it doesn't, why are we doing it? Do we still want to do it? Sometimes we need to keep doing it for a limited period so we can get to the next place we want to be. So what is that limited period? And how are we going to make that as painless as possible? And how are we going to keep reminding ourselves that this is only temporary? You know, and, and when can we shift to when we're really following our hearts? Oh, these are great concepts. And I would agree, you have to have that emotional connection to what you do for a living. And it's more than just the money. It's, it's you know, are you helping people? Are you doing something that, that really is interesting to you and that you're passionate about? Uh, that's going to make those harder days a lot easier, uh, for yeah. sure. And then making it a transitional project, since habits aren't built overnight, and you're not just going to wake up one day and change everything, making that a, a longer term project where you can kind of set some goals and evaluate your progress along the way. Uh, so you can get to a point where you're boosting your impact in a less amount of time and less uh, stress, less uh, taxing on your body uh, and your mind. It sounds wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, well, there are all sorts of things to do for one's health. I mean, the number of people I've had show up to work with me who are drinking coffee all day, and then they have to drink alcohol at night to sleep. Then in the morning, they have to drink coffee to wake up. And it's this is really bad for them, right? That's a vicious cycle. You don't want to do that. Yeah. You know, there are so many examples like that. If we look after our health better, that we've automatically got so much more energy, and then we feel like we've got more time. Yeah, absolutely. I've noticed an uptick in talking more about people's wellness and their uh, their resilience and their kind of yeah. mental fortitude and such. Uh, and companies helping people focus on that. We've been helping some organizations here do that as well. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So before we wrap up this episode, what final advice or thoughts would you like to share with our audience about how to thrive, not just survive, personally and professionally in their world? I would say, be honest with yourself. Are you just surviving or are you thriving? And does that go up and down and change from day to day and week to week? It probably does. Sometimes people I've worked with have done a thing where they, they have a little kind of grid, you know, like a graph. And at the end of the day, they mark on the graph, what percentage today was I thriving and what percentage was I just surviving? And they just log that every day for a month or so. And then they look back at it and they go, oh, my God, I had a real peak in thriving uh, on those two days there. What was happening? What was going on? We can learn an enormous amount from surveying ourselves and just telling the truth about it. And when we do find that we're thriving, really invest in whatever it was you were doing that helped you to do that. Really make a big deal out of that. Because we, so often we make a big deal out of when we're failing. Let's make a big deal about out of when we're succeeding and try to duplicate that. 
Well, Catherine, thank you so much for taking some time today to share your thoughts and expertise on how we can all get closer to reaching our maximum potential as leaders professionally and personally. If anybody's interested in learning more from you, where can we point them to? Uh, I would love you to come and listen to my podcast, which is called Truth and Transcendence. And the and is an ampersand. And in there, I have some amazing interviews with the most extraordinary guests. And I also do solo, short solo episodes where I talk about a particular principle or piece of wisdom and how it applies to being successful as a leader and a business owner. So yeah, truth and transcendence awaits you. Sounds great. And I'll put some information about how to access that site into our show notes so everybody has it nice and easy. In closing, I'd like to take a moment and thank our listeners. We wish you the best of luck as you move forward on your leadership journey. Please check back regularly for additional episodes.